0: What episode is this, Rob, like, This is um, episode 42. Something like that, right? Yeah, Maybe
1: and, um, 43, this be. Yesterday was 41, and it was The Pretenders. Today's episode 42. 42, yeah. And we're gonna go into episode
0: 43, because this is gonna be a two-parter. Right. And what are we talking about? We're talking about The Cramps, okay? One of my all-time favorite bands. I've been wanting to do a show about these guys all year. Um, I love this band uh probably this is gonna be one of the best most informative shows we've probably ever done to be honest with you i uh, got a lot of information did a lot of research just drew from a lot of different books and stuff like that so i hope you guys enjoy it um the cramps to me probably between them and the ramones but the cramps more so in a lot of ways really kind of like molded my musical tastes uh the band Uh, was very influential for me and and same with the Ramones but the cramps I didn't miss a show in New York City between 1986 and 2006. Wow. Okay, if they played two nights, I went two nights. If they played one night, I went one. I mean, I went to every show. You know what?
1: I, I must have seen them at least once. Cause I, you you know to. what? When I was young, I really didn't like, pay attention. But I went to so many shows at CBGBs and yeah. even Coney Island High, all these places. I used to see a bunch of bands. Sometimes I really didn't know the name, but the band was jamming. Well, the, you know, when great. me and
0: you were going to shows, the Cramps were playing in places like the Ritz. Yeah. Or playing Irving Plaza or the or the Academy uptown, yeah. you know stuff like that. So you might have seen them there. You know they, they always had good bands opening for them and stuff. So yeah. you, you probably did. But uh, there's a book that's out uh, called uh, "Journey to the Center of the Cramps." Oh yeah, okay? look at that. And uh, it's by a guy named Dick Porter, and he's a big Cramps fan. I think he's a British guy. Yeah. And uh, he wrote this book a few years ago, and it really is kind of like the Bible on this band. So I took a lot of uh, a lot of stuff from that. Um, you could check them out on YouTube. There's a lot of information. Oh,
1: there's so much stuff. They had um, some pretty um, crazy interviews with
0: them because they were they were very weird.
1: Because they were they you know what they were
0: very weird, but they were also very down to earth, very approachable, very oh, friendly yeah. with their fans. Uh, I actually never got to speak to them, which is something I always regretted, but but uh, they were just very cool people. You well, know? He,
1: so, the guy interviewed and they were talking about when, um, the Super Bowl when Janet Jackson and Press came out. Yeah. They were talking about the scandal, how the media yeah. started censoring
0: music. Right. And they're
1: like, we're rock and roll, we don't care. We, we don't just, care about we, that. We, yeah, yeah, yeah do you, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. funny,
0: man. Definitely, definitely. You know? In this book that I just showed you, there's a line in here, and I, I think it kind of definitely is the theme of at least this first part of the of the cramps that we're doing and basically it says the story of the cramps is more than just a story about music it's a love story it is between love story. between lux and ivy yeah and let's just get right into it i got a lot of information you know how lux got his name from the car for a car commercial yeah, i was yeah. like oh my god yeah,
1: yep but ivy's name came to a poison what, ivy poison ivy came to a- <laughs>
0: Yeah, that was from a, the a, coasters. Yeah,
1: from a wedding, I think, from a dream she said she had also. Yeah, it Rorschach. was it,
0: Rorschach, she Rorschach, used to Rorschach, she used to go name. by the name Poison Ivy, Rorschach. Rorschach. She would drop the Rorschach after a while, but the Rorschach is Rorschach test. Yeah. When you're crazy. Because yeah. everybody I, thought she was nuts. She thought it nuts, up. Yeah. yeah. you know. Here's the other day, I was thinking
1: why she didn't just call herself Poison Ivy in the beginning. Was the Batman character out before her? Yes. So maybe it could have been something. Else. So she No,
0: nah, they wouldn't have paid attention to that. I, I think it was just she she wanted a no, different... No, I'm
1: saying that they maybe added a road shot for a bit because she couldn't just call herself so Poison Ivy because then DC would hit the with copyright or whatever.
0: Maybe, but she eventually did it. So yeah, you know, uh, nothing
1: they, ever happened. But maybe she got like a, she might ask for approval or something. Uh, yeah, I never I never made that connection, oh, but they, I guess anything's possible. I'm saying yeah, Poison Ivy. The, poison, the, 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 the other I know two Poison Ivy. The one from the cramps
0: and the character from Batman. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, uh, let's talk a little about Lux, okay? Lux was born uh, Eric, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Eric uh, Lee Perkinson, okay, October 21st, 1946, in a town called Stowe, Ohio, which is like right outside Akron. Now, we were talking about the pr- Pretenders uh, yeah, the other day, yeah. and Akron's yeah. a, a great spot for rock and roll. A lot of good yeah. bands came out of there, Cleveland area. Uh, Basically, Akron was known for the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Factory. Yeah. All right. Biggest tire and rubber factory in the country. Everybody in the town worked there. Basically, you worked 40, 50 hours a week. You got drunk at night, went nuts on a weekend. In fact, Alcoholics Anonymous got started in that town. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. He had a Catholic upbringing, very Catholic upbringing. Um, But, you know, it was the 50s, late mid-50s, and his early musical influences were like... Hank Williams, who was a, a crazy original country star, yeah. okay, and, and you know, Little Eric would be known for banging banging on the piano, You're Cheating Heart, that song, you, you know, script, but he would do it in like a, a psychotic kind of way, yeah. okay, now, he was just a, a, a crazy kid, he was fascinated by anything weird, comic books, yeah. the 50s comics like Vault of Horror, Eerie, Haunt of Fear, Tales from the Crypt, stuff like that. Uh, Also, 50s, what'd you have, horror and sci-fi? Yep. Movies like Incredible Shrinking Man, uh, I Married a Monster from Outer Space, all the sci-fi flicks of that era, horror flicks, Plan 9 from Outer Space okay all oh, that the, stuff oh, he was movies. like a he was like a sponge yeah and he sucked up all that stuff to, to create this whole thing he probably but, watched some Ed Wood's movie too absolutely guy was absolutely. definitely like an Ed Wood an an Ed Ed fan yeah, absolutely um, <laughs> there's a funny story that he used to tell uh, in 1958 there was a movie coming out called Brain Eaters and he was now. He must have been about 12 years old at the time, and yeah. he was begging his father to take him to it. And his father <laughs> said something like, "Nah, you fucked up too much already. You can't go see that. A movie called Brain years. That's right. fucking great. So, you know, I can relate with that. <laughs> the Daniel- yeah, he actually said that. You're too <laughs> fucked up. Okay, so." What was a big rock and roll influence? Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, all the Little Richard, all that early 50s stuff. But on the radio in that area, you had Alan Freed, okay, yep. out of Cleveland. And yep. he would listen to Alan Freed constantly. But what he was really inspired by, more than Alan Freed, was a DJ named Pete Myers. Yeah. Pete Myers' uh, radio name was the Mad Daddy. okay. And uh, he was on <laughs> WHKK radio. It was it was four hours of high octane rock and roll, R and B. He would have mixes of like horror movie and sci fi sounds in between the songs. That's Every, and, and, and when he would introduce things, it was a rhyme and a rap. Yep. The way he would do it, he would yeah. rhyme everything. Uh, if you really want to hear this, I'd love to do a show just on this guy or early rock and roll DJs. You got a lot of stuff on YouTube. You yeah. can actually... Look up the Mad Daddy. Here, the look Mad at Daddy. look at his routine. It's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Now, Lux was such a fan. He actually became the fan of the Mad Daddy fan club in Ohio. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> he was the president of it. Okay. I can see him doing yeah. that. And in 1958 and 59 time, uh, that, that DJ, the Mad Daddy, would host these things called Mad Minions Dances. Yeah. And it would be like his fans would be at these dances or, you know, fans of this show, fans in the fan club, everybody hanging out. 1959, uh, he took a chance and the Mad Daddy moved to New York City. Okay. Yep. But right before he did that, there was a, a promotional thing he did. One of the last things he did is he actually parachuted out of a plane into Lake Erie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so he was crazy, but he left and he went to WINS 1010 when they used to play music and WNEW in New York. Unfortunately, the Mad Daddy uh, didn't really make it here too big. He just couldn't, uh, it just didn't sync up with New York uh, fans and stuff, and and he ended up actually killing himself.
1: Damn.
0: He killed in 1968,
1: yeah. Yeah. He was a different kind. You know what, I could see his style not really going in New York. They probably told him, this is where you gotta play,
0: Yeah. and this and that. I don't think he was like... Yeah, there there is a book about him, which I I, I, I have on my radar to get. but uh, he's an interesting guy. There's a yeah. whole bunch of YouTube stuff you could hear, like his shows and the funny things yeah. he did in between. Some of the shows are from Ten Ten Wins, some of them from WNW here. So yeah. they were good. Um, you want to hear something funny?
1: Like even Howard Stern had a hard time in the beginning. In the beginning, sure he did. Like, sure, know, it's not so easy. He, it's not easy breaking in the market. is it's tough. But imagine what, what the hell are DJs like DJs today?
0: What do they do? With There's no that, DJs yeah, anymore. Anyway, like, I mean that's all done. The errors yeah. of. Uh, Wolfman Jack and, uh, and you Wolf know and stuff like that. That's all over with.
1: Yeah, you know what? That's a great idea. We should. We do. Should a, do I'm thinking. DJs, I'm like thinking. Wolf Wolf. I want to yeah.
0: do a show maybe on Alan Freed, Alan the Mad Freed Daddy, and Wolfman Jack. Yep. To do like a two part or one part with all three of them there. But Lux, okay, was still going by the name Eric at that point. Yeah. Was very influenced also by his older brother. Okay. He was lucky enough to have a cool oh, really? older brother, that named Ron that was uh his his life was motorcycles and marlon brando oh shit this shit's not recording we'll do it here and i'll send it over okay uh his 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 thing was marlon and brando and uh and motorcycles uh his older brother ron when he saw the wild one immediately the next day went out and bought a motorcycle wow okay And he would have his friends come over, little Eric be hanging out, and his friends would be upstairs playing poker and stuff like that, smoking cigarettes, listening to music. His brother used to put albums all over the walls. And uh, he was very influenced by his older brother. Um, Lux kind of sucked it all in, you know, to make this this character out of himself. But uh, after the Mad Daddy went to New York, uh, there was another character that he became obsessed with. And it was a, sh- a guy who hosted Shock Theater t- television, which was a horror show out of Cleveland, a guy named Ernie Anderson, also known as Goularty. Yep. Okay. Now, Goularty used to use similar things that the Mad Daddy did. He would use rock and roll snippets and stuff in between his talking and with, with the movies. And he had a similar rap and rhyme when introdu- introducing everything. Uh, Goularty was, like, so popular that... Uh, if it was must-see TV for everybody. So everybody on, I think it was Friday nights or home, it would actually affect the crime rate. <laughs> yeah, it will, down it will go down because everybody, everybody be home watching the show. That's how popular he you was. Know what's
1: funny? He's like one of the guys that uh, Elvira
0: got the page from. El- Elvira, Vampira, yeah, Vampire, and, got, like, and and anybody that Exactly Yeah, remember Zachary? Yeah, he was yeah. a pioneer. The, like he was like a
1: pioneer. He was so like, mm-hmm. like that's what Elvira was. The person that she like do have a movie. Before commercial, or before doing commercial, she'll pop in and she'll say, Ooh, what say, do you think about some, the movie? I'll dressed all, yeah. sexy and all sexy and everything. Yep. That was the only reason to watch, and see that whatever... Whatever she was wearing and she was on. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: And she would make fun of the movie, too. Like, doesn't this oh, suck? <laughs> yeah, she said, <laughs> movie is crap. <laughs> well, Goularty actually did the same thing. Yeah. And he used to get into fights with the TV station, because they'd be like, Look, and you see, you're telling people to go home and go to bed instead of watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, anyway... It was at this point that that he was really also uh interested in building his record collection and back in those days there was no internet and there were no reissues of no. things so what you were getting was the original copy of something when you were looking for it so he would scour thrift stores scour record stores trying to find old R and old B, old rockabilly doo-wop all kinds of stuff and that he was, was interested hard back in the days yeah you know? yeah this was the this was like the mid-60s at this point Uh, The Vietnam War was raging Was starting to rage And and, and, You know Eric would be like You know He didn't know what to do Because he really wasn't Working that much Wasn't doing much with his life He was a prime candidate To get drafted Yeah Of course But Luckily for him He decided He he considered at one point To go to Canada But then he didn't do it He actually uh, Stuck it out But because he wasn't Working steady It was a little hard For them to find him Yeah Because they find you Through your
1: social security Number and everything
0: You know So what he decided to do uh, is uh, enroll in uh, in college, and he enrolled at California State University in Sacramento, California, yep. which is 2,000 miles away from Akron. I think he was,
1: did he go like into an art major or something, or did he work for art? Like I, think
0: like, I think it was different things. Art might have been part of it um you know but he actually was there for a few years yeah. um now let me, po- let me know where we start part
1: two okay. and then I would call sure, sure sure I'm sure, sure. Be
0: cool. now poison ivy was born uh christy marlana wallace february 20th 1953. she was hot very hot okay she was born in san bernardino which was about 430 miles south of sacramento mm-hmm. and she was the youngest child of three now her father was in the california aerospace industry and but what they used to do as a family is father, uh, her father used to uh, flip houses. He'd buy a house, do Pick some it investing, up, yeah, and, then, and, and flip and it. And you know, which is very common today. You see a lot of people. Yeah, a lot that. of people. do There's actually a show like that, guys. There is. Yeah, I've seen that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, this would keep the family on the move all the time. She actually moved nine times wow. in, in her school years okay between first grade and 12th grade but I it was had, all in california right all within california but still i mean that's tough on a kid yeah. and it, and when you don't have roots i i moved a lot as a kid so i moved about five times six times as a kid so like you 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 it's hard to like make friends because you know you, you're not staying you know and it, that kind of like changes your outlook on things yeah you know but now it's funny like me and my life, like in my
1: childhood like my parents moved twice and one was from the second floor to the third floor.
0: That was moving. Yeah, but when you're starting school over again, especially yeah. like in the middle of the year yeah. or something, it's, it's very, for a kid, it's very crazy. Yeah, now. it is very right, crazy. Right. Uh, I, I went through that a few times. But um, she was very interested in rock and roll right off the bat. Uh, Elvis was a big fan. But what she really liked were the novelty records of the 50s and early 60s. Songs like Martian Hop by the Randells, Witch Doctor by David Seville and uh, The Flying Purple People Eater by Sheb Woolley. That's a great song. I mean, yeah, and she would buy these 45s and sing along and, and just, enjoy it, you know. Uh, her mother was an amateur singer and yeah, was, was very uh, uh, encourageable with, with what she was doing. Uh, she encouraged the young Christie to, to continue down this musical path. Uh, she taught herself guitar by, as a teenager. She was playing along with surf records like Pipeline by the Shantae's, yeah. you know, primitive kind of stuff like that. But now, you can also see that's the inference in the music, absolutely. too. All that stuff, it's, the, music, it's, the cramps are like a, a, a stew of, yeah. of everything, you the know? Cramp,
1: yeah, because when you look... Know, some people say rock... You can you can see the rock a bit. You can see the rock and roll. You can even see a little goth thing there, I hate to say it. Oh, the but what? Were, like golf? Oh, like, golf! Yeah. Yeah, well, like, I mean, I'm definitely. Like, like, they were the kind of band that, holy
0: shit, They, they had a horror vibe. They had a total horror vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were yeah, like... Yeah, they, they, I they, think
1: they might have influenced a lot of people, Very, man.
0: very, very many people. Many, many people. But... As a teen, uh, Christy, before she was known as Poison Ivy, uh, she kind of discovered makeup like all girls do. Mm-hmm. And But she would she would take it to a, another level. You know, she would wear heavy eye makeup. Uh, it was considered slutty at the time. She used to get hassled for the way she dressed, uh, the way her red hair, like red curly curly hair. Yeah. Uh, people thought she was a bad girl. She smoked cigarettes, and that would, you know... Uh, get her expelled from school like two times yeah okay uh imagine that as you got feel for smoking eh, i remember kids getting <laughs> expelled for smoking <laughs> that's you know funny. because you you'd get caught smoking in the school like three four times they throw you out of school you know that's what used to happen i think that's very funny it is it is uh she was a big huge link ray fan Dwayne eddie twanging guitar Uh, she liked these guys more than she liked Chuck Berry she liked Chuck Berry but she felt she felt these guys were way more interesting one other person she loved was Bo Diddley okay and Bo Diddley uh, she was listening to constantly she finally got to see him one time and was blown away by the Duchess the Duchess was a female guitar player that Bo Bo had with him and uh, sometimes it would be actually different women Uh, that were involved but uh, you know Whatever, whoever it was, they always looked the same. They always wore like gold lame dresses, yeah. high heels. And you could see, like if you look at old pictures of any Duchess that Bo had, they, they all will like look like poison ivy that did later on yeah. maybe a little more dressed poison yeah. ivy will be a little more naked yeah you know? but it didn't matter you could see that influence yeah you could uh, totally see it now she would uh graduate high school in 1971 by the skin of her teeth basically uh <laughs> one thing she was doing constantly was acid okay oh she was, yeah she was, she was a big balls. She was a tripping balls big lsd fan uh experimented with it a lot uh, she would enroll at that point at Sacramento State, yeah. where, where, where Lux was, where she would eventually meet him. But uh, she started going by the name Poison Ivy around that time, Poison yeah. Ivy Rorschach. And it, she says that the Poison Ivy was named after the Coasters song, yeah. which was also done by like the Stones and a lot of other people. Yeah. Uh, Eric, who was at Sacramento, was actually going by the name Vip Vop. Yeah, I saw okay. that. Okay, it's actually on his right. license. Yeah, yeah, all right. It? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, after a while, he would change it to Lux Interior, but not yet. All right. Did now, he change it maybe so he could uh, so not get
1: drafted also by that? Maybe it name. might, it, yeah. might it
0: might have been. he probably was trying anything not to get drafted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now this was a strange time, late '60s. The the hippie movement. Sacramento was a center of that. Uh, in the college, like, metaphysics was a big course. Everybody was into witchcraft and stuff oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> there, there, was a, there was actually a textbook called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Yeah. That was an actual textbook yeah. that you would get. Now, one night, Eric and a friend of his were driving in a car. And this is when he first sees Ivy, okay? She was walking down the street, actually hitchhiking, okay? and <laughs> she, Yeah, she was wearing a halter top, short shorts with a hole in the ass with red panties sticking out and they just slammed on the brakes and hello okay and uh when she got in the car and 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 you know they they, they hit it off right away he it was just a love affair that started yeah. right there these two people were meant for each other and uh you know they would spend the rest of, of his life yeah. you know eventually really? together yeah. um and but it was the beginning of a, a wonderful thing and um after that they were inseparable by 1972-73 well, I gotta tell you when yeah. you look at both of their background, you it makes sense
1: why they would wind up together yeah cause he yeah. was we he was like into all this music all this stuff and they both yeah. were the, I, I think they both were I think they were both like mystical kind of mystical fucking creatures yeah yeah. they got that stage presence where you see them seeing
0: them seeing them live like many times like I did was always a magical experience there was something Lux to this day and I I will say that to my grave I think he's one of the greatest front men ever oh he's a total great front man I mean you think of all the great front men in the world Mick Jagger uh, Joey Ramone so many people and and I think Lux is really probably in the top five. I think the older has got, the better his voice got. Yes. It didn't change all that much, but, but it, it was like, always you know, strong. He's got,
1: like, he got like little Rusky, he got yeah. like that Johnny Cash at the end, that like he was still singing. A little bit, yeah. Do, a little deeper. To the point that he almost yeah. sounded like fucking Screaming Jay Hawkins in some of the songs. Yeah, definitely, well, definitely what, sounds what, like one, that.
0: one thing he incorporated is like uh, the rockabilly hiccup yeah. in, in a lot of, especially the earliest songs. And he got that from from a guy named Charlie Feathers, who he was big time influenced by. But let's not get ahead because we're talking 1972, 73. Yeah. What they were really into together at this point was the New York Dolls. Yeah, that first New York, New York Dolls record uh, was a huge thing for them. They actually drove from Sacramento to San Francisco to go see them. It was a life changing experience. Yeah. Um, but what they really loved to do was spend a lot of time in record stores and thrift stores. Building up this gigantic collection that they were starting to get. Oh, yeah. You know, and again, this was all pre internet, pre re releases. This is all original 45s they were looking for. And uh, later on, in many years later, they would be acknowledged as having one of the biggest collections A of this kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. You know.
1: Um, you, you want to hear something interesting? They have an interview with him and Poison Ivy, and um, the guy's interview. He said, "You're a beautiful woman. I remember seeing you at this and that." Yeah. And he just turned he showed them your panty and she lifts her dress, yeah, bends over and yeah. showed her panties. Yep, yep. I was I've like, seen oh that my
0: clip. God. Yeah, <laughs> that one's great. Look, I, I went to shows where she was wearing the most like see-through shit. Okay, she she was she look look. I'm gonna bring this up real quick. All right, Poison Ivy. I'll hit that shit right away. Oh, of course. No, no. Uh, hands down. What I'm going to say is this. How come, let me put this to you. How come people don't talk about her being, as a female, a very influential artist, a very influential guitar player? Very good guitar player. Very good guitar player. and But she's not mentioned in the circle of things. When you watch shows and they'll have like award shows or presentations about women in music, never mentioned. She's no. never mentioned. And mentioned I, like Johnny Jett. Joan Jett's the Hines. most. Chrissy Hine, maybe. Joan Another Jett, maybe. One. But no one mentions Poison Ivy. No, Debbie no, right. Harry, uh, Harry. You know, now it's things like Beyonce and yeah. stuff like that. Okay. Or Whitney even Houston Tina, or whatever. But Tina Turner. Turner. I, I, and I don't, I'm not putting any of them down. But no. I'm saying, why isn't Poison Ivy in that list? Well, maybe because she used to be like half naked. All
1: right.
0: But the thing is, nowadays, if you're a feminist, you're supposed to be comfortable in your sexuality, yeah. which is beautiful. It's yeah. fine. She was definitely She totally was comfortable yeah, because no I saw her on stage at Irving Plaza in a see-through dress. Okay, you could see pretty much everything. All right, so this is, uh, you know, I, I think it's a travesty that she's not mentioned that much, but that's just me ranting. Uh, at this point, what was happening in, in 72, 73, 74 is they were getting hassled by the police a lot. Oh,
1: I can okay, see that. Okay, Sacramento.
0: Yeah. First of all, uh, Eric was going by the name Vip Fop. It was on his license. Yeah. So whatever a cop questioned him, he's showing his. Like, Your name's Vip Fop, you know. Yeah. I don't know how you could do that in those days, but they didn't even have pictures on licenses yeah. in those days. So, so you who, can, who you knows? Can name Whatever the yeah. hell he was. Yeah, uh, he had discovered rockabilly uh, big time. Charlie Feathers was was becoming an influence to him, but they really hadn't started thinking about doing a band yet it was more just being like a professional appreciator which is kind of like what I've been for a lot of my life you know okay I mean I've tried to put bands together but it never works so I end up just appreciating good shit but um, one night they went to see T-Rex Mark Boland T-Rex and it was at a point when T-Rex was kind of on the downside and Mark Boland was like 250 pounds and you know and, and they were still great, but yeah. but Lux had said to himself, you know, uh, I'm better than that. I could sing better than that, all right. And it occurred to them that they needed to start a band. Yeah. Now at the same time, this was like about 1975. The same time, uh, Rock uh, Rock Sound Magazine had an ad out from CBGB's about band, you know, advertising for bands to come play at the club in New York because they were starting to pick up a little buzz. What was happening in New York City in 1975, you had bands like the Ramones, Television, Blondie, Talking Heads, Talking okay? head, yep. uh, and many others playing, and it was starting to get a buzz even within the media. But they were like one of the main
1: influences like that started that whole Well they thing. they, 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 were they came, they they, went, they they went, were, they came about a year later. But they, they were in yeah. that whole punk uh, era, all Absolutely. that rock and roll punk era, uh, all these great uh, bands. yeah. Know? And um, the one thing about the Cramp, there were pretty much Lux and Poison Ivy were always in the band, yes. But everybody else, the, the there would be
0: there would be a lot of lineup changing. changes over the years. They would have some periods of stability, a yeah. few albums with the same members. But I'll get into that because it's very interesting yeah. how some of these people go in and out. But they also
1: had like they had a female uh, drummer
0: at one time. No, no, drummer bass player. A bass player. Bass, bass player was. No, they always had and guys I'm, on. Drums. And I'm saying, how do they have two? Like, how many bands had two female guitarists? Yes, at one point. Well, yeah, and that would be a bass player, <laughs> which would I mean. be, yeah. which would be one of the first times they actually had a bass player. Yeah. But let me let me explain this. But okay. But then
1: Ivy could play the bass also. Yes, yeah, she she, she
0: did play the bass on one album. Yeah. A date with Elvis, and that was the first yeah. time she ever did. But they would need a bass player on that I'm tour. Enjoyed, yeah. But this was like 10 years later already, yeah. don't you know. right. um, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, during 1975, the second half of the year, they would make two trips to New York City. And during that time, they would uh, become very friendly with the Ramones, yep. Patti Smith, particularly Lenny Kaye, yeah. who became a big fan, and uh, television, television, OK? And it was at that point in that second half of 1975 that they decided they needed to relocate, that this was where it's happening yeah. New York City was where it's happening nothing was happening really so much out in Akron uh, his parents were there it was an yeah, so awkward situation went, so he
1: went from San Diego and then he moved to Akron, Ohio yeah. for
0: a little bit he moved there for a little bit uh, I think they basically knew they were heading east but yeah. they made that stop off, you know did they uh, start
1: playing in Ohio? Were no. Were they already doing it?
0: No, nah, they really, no. Nah, they, they, they were just doing their, their collecting and, and hanging out and getting high and all that shit. You're right. You know, they, like, I mean, they think they had little bullshit jobs, but it really yeah. wasn't going anywhere. They were probably saving money to come to New York yeah, or
1: whatever
0: yeah. the hell. Mm-hmm. So um, by this time, late 75, they were using the names we know. Poison Ivy and Lux Interior. Lux got it from a car ad yeah a right. Luxe interior you know, yeah you know now one day uh in one of these two trips to new york city uh they were in a, a chicken and burger world on sixth avenue and they came, <laughs> they came, they came across a uh a, a girl that was sitting there with some friends eating and it was it was miriam Linna, yeah. and they recognized her as a girl they saw earlier in the year at a kink show in ohio but this was in New York City Yeah So Lux went over to her And started talking to her And said Yeah I saw you at At the King show Yeah distinctive look And whatever And uh, they hit it off right away And, and she explained uh, Lux explained to her That they were going to be Relocating to New York City And they wanted to start a band And they wanted her in it Yeah And they just met her Yeah Okay They wanted her in the band yeah. To play drums But guess what What She didn't know how to play drums I know geez. But But it was just like You couldn't Lux and Ivy had this personality like they told you to do it. You did it, okay? And uh, she, you know, was like, okay, you know, maybe. And uh, they, they exchanged the dresses and all that stuff like people used to do. And uh, they said that when they get their stuff to relocate back to New York City, they're gonna pay a visitor in Ohio. Oh, it's Kendall okay. with the baby. Holy Hello. crap. Hello there, Kendall. I didn't
1: know you were gonna have a baby as a guest. Yes, the baby is the guest. And That's the mom's awesome. here. Awesome.
0: Are you? Yeah. You see yep. So um, when they did that, when they went back to Ohio to get their things, uh, they stopped in to see to see her, and they, yeah. you know, they told her you got to come out to, to New York, but she wouldn't come. Yeah. Okay, she was scared or whatever. She's only she's only like 19 years old yeah. or something at the she, time. She's okay, so she rejected them. Yeah. So Lux and Ivy moved to New York City, and they move into a shoebox apartment on East 73rd Street. Okay. And those uh, are shoebox. It, it was just them and their record collection, all right? One day, Lux is walking down Lexington Avenue near 85th Street, and there's a, a store there back in the day called Musical Maze. It was a record store. Yeah. And he ended up striking a conversation with the owner, and the owner was impressed with his musical knowledge. Yeah. So he hired him yeah, on the spot, okay? So he, he started working there at that store, and uh, uh, Ivy at the time was working as a cocktail wait- waitress somewhere. And uh, that was where Lux would meet Greg Beckersley, okay? And both of them loved the same kind of music, uh, and and Greg actually had the same birthday as Poison Ivy. Wow. So there was a connection. Now, he learned about Lux and Ivy's intention of starting a band, and he said, I'm in. Okay, except he really didn't know how to play anything either, (laughs) okay? And what would happen is... They didn't see didn't know how to play either? Many people. Yeah, I mean, they, the Ramones didn't really know how to play either when they started. It was they, like, they learned. Yeah, they just learned as they went. Now, uh, Greg would be a very striking looking guy. He had pock marks on his face. He had like dirty blonde hair kind of hanging down uh, on one side. But when the band was forming, uh, Ivy gave him a, a flying V guitar him a couple of chords and, and not too many people were playing with flying v's nah. in those days so he was very unique right off the bat he changed his name to brian gregory yep and uh basically at that point all they needed was a drummer so one day brian was was putting polka dots all over the guitar yeah he was painting it stickers all that shit and he tells them my sister could probably play drums but his sister his sister lived in Detroit, which is where he was from originally. Yeah. Okay, now his sister. The oh, I Detroit,
1: Detroit, Detroit, the Midwest, oh, oh that rock and so roll, much oh great that.
0: rock and roll comes out of the Midwest. Yeah. Yep. Now his sister would be brought, she would come out to, to New York, and uh, her name was Pam. And she fit in. She it was it was a good fit. Yeah, Victoria the ticket they did have a female. Oh, well, <laughs> the, you're right, yeah. but it never it, it was, it never before, went it. It was yeah. before they ever recorded anything. I don't think they
1: actually ever made it, no. actually,
0: they, even, they never played live. They never played no. live. I, 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 guess, I forgot that you yeah. meant... Yeah, okay, I got you. That's what I
1: actually meant, because yeah. she was like playing with them, but I don't think they ever recorded no, did they,
0: they did. they did a, I think we rehearsed, basically. Yeah. But her name became Pam Balan. Yeah. Okay, like a Balan. Balan, you know? yeah. <laughs> All right, so what you were seeing here was Lux singing, Poison Ivy on guitar, Brian on guitar, no bass player, and a drummer. But what Brian used to do is he would tune his guitar down an octave or so. Yeah. And it would sound fuzzy and almost like a bass at certain points. Okay. Um, They came up with a name for the Cramps. Uh, It was something that Ivy had thought of actually years earlier because they were big Kinks fans. Yeah. So they were kind of like Kinks, Cramps, Kinks, Cramps, kind of a connection there. But they knew full well about the you know the the, the, the menstrual connection of, <laughs> of <Yeah>. cramps and <laughs> what people were going to say but they didn't give a shit you know uh they were practicing old rockabilly stuff they would do things like the phantoms love me or yeah. roy orbison's domino okay? oh that's a right great, yeah right. That's great they strong. would also do bubblegum songs like quick joey small yeah all right and they one band they followed around everywhere in new york and saw them play everywhere was the Ramones. yep they loved the Ramones. Yep, yep yep they were good friends Now, they were recording some demos with Pam Yeah Okay, but uh, some of these songs would eventually make the first two albums But unfortunately, she wouldn't last too long in the band Uh, Money was really tight at that point uh, And what Ivy decided to do was a pretty bold move She gave up her job as a cocktail waitress and became a dominatrix Okay, now, why'd she do that?
1: From make scratch. money okay yeah, because money. what she
0: could make 10 times as much as a, as a dominatrix yeah, no, and sure. she enjoyed doing it she had the personality to yeah. whip, whip some guys up because you know, it would be stockbrokers coming in at lunchtime to get their asses oh, back yeah, I can see that. okay yeah, and paying 100 100 or something. yeah i that could was, see that yeah especially from her that's what she was like. sure Ooh. sure
1: sure it's all making sense now
0: yep now uh they would re- they would also practice uh often at a rehearsal space at west 39th street near times square now they didn't have cars, so what they would do is they would bring their instruments downtown on the subway and come out on 39th Street with all the pimps and the hookers and stuff in those days, and it had to be a sight, you know, to, be yeah, to see these guys. Let me tell you, when I was a yeah. kid, I live, um I lived on 37 Ninth Avenue. There was
1: a studio recording. Sometime when from my apartment building, you could hear these bands jamming like in these studio. Yeah, There was, like, it and, was in, in the kitchen, up, right? You're talking in the about. Kitchen, yeah, yeah, and they would bang, like, around. Twelve o'clock to three in the morning, you would there just was, hear There was a lot, music. Of rehearsal a lot of rehearsals. I mean, yeah. it was insane. Like you could hear it. Nobody really complained. It was, you know, you would hear the music, and after a while, you didn't hear it. You weren't, but you got used to it. But I used to hear bands play all the time, and they would play loud. would and guys, know which band I heard in those years? Because they had a they lot went, of. They
0: went on to probably bigger things. They some had of those guys. a lot
1: of rehearsal in health Hell's Kitchen at that time. There yeah. were a lot of places open just for rehearsal for bands. You know, it was crazy. It was Definitely. insane. Definitely.
0: Now, Pam Balam would leave, and uh, by July of 1976, around the time of the Bicentennial, yeah. uh, they were still in touch with Miriam, yep. Miriam Linham. And she finally gave in and said, okay, I'll come, I'll be in the band, I'll yeah. relocate to New York. And uh, it was a perfect time, because in July of 76, you had the Bicentennial, yeah. you had all the tall ships coming in, there was a lot of craziness going on in New York, everybody was partying all yeah. summer because of that. That and was a uh, great party. One, you know, right, it was. I remember as a kid seeing the ships and everything. I that was pretty cool. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, th- they were seeing a lot of bands. They were down at CBGBs and Max's and clubs like that. But they still hadn't played out yet, okay? And Miriam still didn't know how to play drums, all right? But one day at a rehearsal, Lux came with a pair of sticks, and he handed it to her, and he pronounced her as the world's greatest drummer. Okay, and she just started doing it, started keeping a beat. Okay, Uh, it was at that point that Lux wrote the song, I Was a Teenage Werewolf. That was a great fucking song. Yeah, they were all fantastic, fantastic. Fantastic. And they were covering a lot of Charlie Feathers, which is what he was really into. Yeah. Uh, A song called I Can't Hardly Stand It that they would record later on. Uh, They tried to get gigs at CBG because they were hanging out there, they were hanging out with the Ramones and talking heads. They were like, we should be able to play. The only problem is is fucking Hilly didn't want to do anything. <laughs> he didn't want to help him. Okay? Finally, he relented and he, uh, he gave him a Monday night audition night, which Mondays, for the history of CBGBs, was an audition night. Yeah. You'd have the one headliner act, but everybody else opening for them would be starting at yeah. their first gig or something yeah. like that. I used to go Monday nights a lot because it was usually cheap. Gig oh gig yeah, and, you know it might have been like a five dollars or something like that. At the most. It might have
1: been it might have been two dollars. It also, might have been two that, for that, that, four or five
0: dollars. But uh, you would sometimes see a band that that yeah. you know two three years later would have a record contract on the radio. And they would start, start at early. They would start around six yes. thirty. You
1: had band and then seven show. o'clock. You start around show seven. Would I probably end like eleven o'clock or whatever, and then they just stay open like
0: like a kind of club sure. drinking and yeah, stuff drinking like that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, they ended up opening for the Dead Boys November 1st, 1976. Now, they they had a good show. Uh, you know, they, they, they seemed to, you know, they weren't, it went off without a hiccup, okay, except Hilly just didn't like them. There yeah. was just something about between Hilly and the Cramps at the beginning, he thought they sucked, okay. Uh, but it probably did suck. Well, I've heard some of the early you, shit you, there. It's you, really, it's you, really...
1: You know, what well, let's say he said... He said I guess they, they, they took out an album with some of those recording for those... He said, yeah. you can see how bad we were to how
0: good we are well, now. The, he the, the, the How to it. Make a Monster collection, uh, the two uh, CD yeah. collection, is all that early stuff. Yeah. And uh, some live and some demos. Yeah. And you can hear it. I, don't, I wouldn't say it sucks. It's just kind of like them... Not quite where yeah. they were yet. No, but you that's know? what you
1: described So you can see yeah. how bad we really were. can yeah. See how good we got. Good we got the the of later, of course. You say later on we were but, really like kicking
0: ass. But one ass. thing, one thing. As much as Hilly Crystal didn't like them at CBGBs, Peter Crowley at Max's loved them. Loved them. Okay. He loved them. Loved them. them. November twenty first, nineteen seventy six. Okay, they would open for the band Suicide. At Max's, Kansas yes, it's City, it's Max's, right. Kentucky City, Kentucky. <laughs> Max's, Kansas City, okay, and uh, the the show went off fantastically, okay, uh, people love them off the bat, bands like Blondie, Mink okay? oh, DeVille, okay, um, yeah, would, it, it, would it. play with the cramps oh, at, yeah. at, at Max's many times. Wayne County, who was the original transgender rock star, yes. okay, was the DJ at Max's, and, and he, he, he loved them. Okay, He would promote them all the time. They were sloppy. Miriam couldn't keep a beat, but uh, Ivy picking away on her guitar and Brian Gregory with that flying V uh, and Lux's stage antics, it was just something to see. His stage antics are fantastic, yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, I wish I was old enough to see them in a small club. Yep. You know, When I saw them, they were playing the Cramps. Uh, the Cramps were playing the Ritz and Irving Plaza, but to see them like at the Mug Club or CB's or somewhere like that must have been amazing. Um, by oh, March of 70... Yeah, remember the Mug Club? Oh, yeah. Shit. yeah. March never, of, wow. Yeah, yeah, that was Johnny <laughs> Thunders used to play there all the time, too. <laughs> if you ever hear the Stations of the Cross live album, that's all recorded there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, wow. yeah. March of uh, oh, 77, after being so successful at Max's, Hilly finally gave him a date to play again at CBS. Okay, okay, and it would begin opening for the Dead Boys, but this was not a, an audition night. Uh, they actually opened for the Ramones too in April, and they were starting to build up steam. See uh, CBS fans were taking to them. Some of them, okay, it was kind of an interesting uh, you dynamic that with that.
1: Today, like you got the wow. fucking Cramps and the fucking Ramones in one. And-
0: <laughs> I, I mean, that's a dream, man. That's, like, that's the, like a dream. Even dog. if I saw the cramps and Ramones in the same place at the same time, that'd be amazing. But you think know? about that. They were just like, oh, we're going to do That's like holy shit. What yeah. the fuck, yeah. man? The Ramones and the cramps. That's incredible. Man. Now, now, first mention in the press of the cramps was Cream Magazine. Uh, that year, when they said that they sounded like the kind of music that cockroaches would make at four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I think that's a good review, actually. <laughs> okay, but the, the New- never a bad no, review. No such thing as bad press. But the New York Rocker, which was a little elitist at the time, said that they were sterile and calculating, <laughs> whatever. Okay, Lux and Ivy didn't give a fuck about all that. No. They, they weren't into the whole like clicky New York City club scene that was kind of going on. There was kind of a competition between Max's and and and, and CBGBs. He didn't, they didn't get involved with any of that. Nah. Nah. So but most so, bands that play at CBGBs would play at Max's also. So there was like well, you know. there were not well well not so much. I mean, there were no. bands that played both. Yeah. But there were some bands that were exclusive to oh, one yeah, or the of course, other. of course, of and, course. And, and and Hilly was kind of like pushing that. Yeah. Okay. Like you You're either one here. or the other. Yeah. 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 You can make money yeah. for me, or that's it. Oh, you yeah. know. Yeah. Now, Punk Magazine didn't even mention the Cramps at first. Okay, even though they actually played a benefit for them one time. There was no mention in their magazine. Now, they didn't quite fit in with the punk scene, like I'm saying. Um, uh, Critics didn't take them that seriously, but they started having a a following. All right, and... uh, They didn't have a following. They they had like a cult following. Well, Well, eventually it was a cult following, but early on it was kind of like come see this crazy band, you yeah. know, and that people would go out. Because you want to hear something crazy. They really didn't get their own
1: website until later, later, really later in the game. It, but it, the fans it, made a website that they were actually the more fans' website. You want yeah. to, and there were guys that was actually yeah. pretty good friends. Right?
0: Yeah. And they actually had real, before the internet, real fan clubs where people would yeah. put out flyers, flyers and yes. stuff like that. We'll, we'll, we'll get, they we'll get into that
1: in the second part of the show. It. I have
0: some info about wow. that. Uh, late in 77 Rock Scene magazine had some small features on the band okay and founder of Rock Scene Richard Robinson was a fan right off the bat yep and he wanted to get some recordings down so he took them over to Bell Sound Studios on West 54th Street now do you recall I, me I, I talking remember, about yeah, Bell Sound okay so. that was where Teenage Head by the Flaming Groovies was recorded yeah. okay oh, yeah. 2 years <laughs> earlier right also Lou Reed's first solo album 72 was recorded there and, you know, Miriam Linnar, the drummer, was ecstatic because these were this, these were heroes of ours. Yeah. She was a big Rubens fan. So she was ecstatic that they were going to be recording at the same place. No record deal, just some demos. Yeah, just okay. demos. And uh, unfortunately, the recording sessions didn't go that well. The engineers didn't really get them what they were about, and they, they made them do a lot of takes, a lot of retakes, and, and just too many recordings of the yeah. same song over and over. They just couldn't get a groove, and they're not the greatest demos. But the live shows at CB's and Max's were packed Packed. whenever they played at that point. Now, this is the time when Miriam would kind of start to lose interest in the band. Years later, she said she kind of regretted it. She said, I was young and and into other things and influenced by a lot of people outside the band. So she would uh, leave the band unfortunately and uh but she would be involved with music later on she would be in a band off the back called the xanties later on she would be in the a-bombs and she also started norton records in 1986 with her husband billy yep okay um billy passed away a few years ago sadly but but yeah norton records is like i could do a show just on them very important yeah they were very big to the to the scene now the band went on a short hiatus while they were looking for a drummer but they still had connections with the ohio scene that was kind of emerging yeah after they left they still kept contact with with people in ohio and it was a band called the electric eels that recently broke up they were a crazy proto-punk kind of band and they had a drummer named Nick Knox. Nick Knox. Okay. Yes. And he only did a few shows with the Eels, yes. but but he was their final drummer. And when the band broke up, he wanted to relocate to New York City because he liked what was going on yes. there. And through Friends, they were introduced to, he was introduced to the Cramps. And he actually auditioned for them and got the job right away. He was, he yes. was a great drummer. He was. He was yeah. a great drummer. Yes. Now, his first gig with the Cramps would be at the Village Gate. And it would be a gig with the Tough Dots, which was uh, fronted by Robert Gordon, yep, who we Robert saw Gordon, over the great, summer. Great. Okay, and they became friends right away because of Robert Gordon's interest in rockabilly. Yeah, Gordon would leave the Tough Dots right after that yep. and go on a rockabilly career. Now, who else was on that bill was Alex Chilton. Yep. Alex Shilton, if you remember, was in the Box Tops. He had mm-hmm. that song "The Letter." Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was also in a band after that called the Big St- called Big Star, which is a fantastic band. Everybody should check out. But uh, at that point, he was solo. Big Star was no more. Yep. And he friended them, and he was interested in producing them. Now he had friends down south. He was a real southern yeah, guy, of course. And he had friends down south. A guy named Jim Dickinson, who was involved at Sun Record Studios. Yep. Okay, as an engineer. And uh, he he said to the cramps, "I can get you time down at Sun Records." Oh, uh, course, right now, Sun, he, Sun now Sun Records, they, again, just yeah. for demos, not yeah. a record deal. But he he said, "I could do this for you." Now, he, they jumped on that right away. Yeah, you'd you'd have rock, to. How could you, as a rockabilly yeah. fan, not want to play? You know, yeah, you have to play. And at Sun and Records, Sun
1: record, that's like you know, that's like where every well Elvis, Johnny
0: Cash, Jerry Lewis, Jerry G. Lewis, or Carl these, Perkins, yeah, all yeah, these, Carl and Perkins, yeah. they were influenced by all these guys, even Elvis. Elvis, yeah. That is, you know. Uh, in this book here, Journey to the Center of the Cramps, it's a nice little story about Elvis, how he basically was was, was known as like the drug dealer. Yeah. Okay, I've mentioned this before, yeah. but you know, it it talks about how he was just a well-dressed white dude, good looking guy, he used to dress like what they thought was a pimp. Okay. And you know, yeah, and he had speed and he had pills, benzedrine, and everything for everybody to get fucking high on. So they could go all night and practice on the ship. And that's that's what it was about. That's, so awesome. they, that's amazing. And that's how Elvis got so started. They say
1: that in the book?
0: Yeah, they talk about oh, it a little that's bit. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And uh at the recording they went down and they started doing some recording and one day Sam Phillips shows up. And Sam Phillips was the guy who started it all yeah. down here, okay? And uh, he talked with them a little bit But he was At that point He wasn't around involved so much anymore no. They would record Ricky Nelson's Lonesome Town They'd do a haunting version of oh, that That's a uh, a, fantastic. a song called The Mad Daddy Which was Mad Daddy Which was his uh, Lux's uh, tribute to, to Pete Myers The DJ yeah. Okay And all these were demos That they were doing But still No record deal No record deal They went back after that To play CBGB's And Max's and the occasional trip out of town yeah now lux was honing his craft as a as a fantastic front man oh, great the guy man. would smash himself in the head with a microphone you know, all kinds of shit okay i, I think the guy like a uh, guitar or a drum that he
1: smashed over his head in the in the rock and roll hall of fame you um, know yeah and in, in ohio
0: it's just like it's happened. on stuff that he would do which is like fucking funny man yep yep so We're going to end the part one real soon, but I'm going to talk right now. June 1978, uh, they would get a gig with a band called the Screamers. Screamers. Right. Another good band. they They were talking with them after the show, and the Screamers mentioned that they played a mental asylum. Okay. Yeah, yeah, All right. They, right. They, okay. They, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So they play, actually played Camarillo State Mental Hospital near Los Angeles. Yeah, they actually And Lux, benefits, Lux was yeah. like, that would be a great idea. We're going to do that too. Yeah. So they ended up, through connections, they hooked up with Napa State Mental Facility in California. Yeah. And it, it's one of the craziest gigs. You can see this. On, there's a DVD released of it. Oh, the man. Cramps at Napa State. Wow. I think it's on YouTube. Basically... You had them playing, probably in a cafeteria or some shit. I don't know what it was, but they're playing it. There's no stage; they are just on the ground. All the crazies are just walking around in in hospital gowns. Some of them are like licking the walls. Okay, right? it's fantastic. Okay, I mean, insane. He and jumping up and down, and he's in their face, and they're all like, you know, like looking totally insane. All right. Oh my god, it's yeah, great stuff, stuff. but. Even that, playing a mental asylum, they still couldn't get a record deal yet. But they were playing nationally a lot more. And things and I would think that change. That was a benefit. That was like a benefit concert. I don't think I, I, I they No, that. they didn't get paid for that. It. it was just to yeah, entertain yeah. the, no, but, entertain but the but people. But it was
1: a benefit concert. Yeah. It was like, I'm not yeah. sure. It, maybe it yeah. was. Yeah. Maybe I think it, it was. was. They didn't get paid, but I think it was to also raise money for the hospital, I think.
0: But I think they only yeah. played in front of the the inmates. Yeah. I, think no, a, a I think it was a free show. I think it was a free show, but I think somebody sponsored it. Somebody probably to pay them. Pay, yeah. Probably paid them. Yeah. But pay the
1: hospital. Yeah, it was funny, man, because they said. I was like, motherfucker, yeah. they're licking the
0: walls. <laughs> they're licking the walls, yes. But things would change soon, and we're going to get into that in the second part, folks. But I just wanted to ask you a question
1: sure. before we get to the next. Did they finally get that record?
0: Yes. All right. But it's coming soon. Let's I'll explain soon. all that.
1: All right. So let's stop here. Yep.